If, if there's one thing uh, leaders, managers, and supervisors should be doing, it is guiding, directing, supporting, and coaching in high structure meetings and high structure one-on-ones. So what should CEOs and other C-level executives be doing? Do not say, oh yeah, my managers want, people are our number one asset. How do your managers manage? Oh, they're winging it. Yeah. Right, well, wait, wait, people are your number one asset, but you leave it to your managers to just do whatever they do? Oh yeah, everybody's got their own management style. To me, that's like having accountants who don't like the general ledger system. Hey, accountant, how are you managing my money? Oh, I got my own style, see? Oh, okay, well, you're gonna end up in prison and I'm gonna end up without any money. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord. Welcome to the Beyond Speaking podcast. Our guest today is Bruce Tolgan. Bruce is the founder of Rainmaker Thinking, a research training and consulting firm as well as Rainmaker Learning and Online Training Resource. He is an internationally recognized speaker and one of the foremost experts on leadership, performance uh, management, and performance management in the workplace. Uh, He's also the author of 20 books. One we're gonna be talking a lot about today is The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, as well as It's Okay to Be the Boss, uh, Managing Generation X, Not Everyone Gets a Trophy, and a lot of others. So Bruce, thank you so much for coming on and uh, joining us here on the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Brian, and it's a privilege to be represented by you. Well, one of the things that you do so well is talk in depth about a lot of different things. So I know uh, when we first started working with you, a lot of it was managing uh, you know, generations. Uh, now you're somebody who is, is so good at sort of the future of work and you know whether it's managing remotely uh, and doing so many of those things. What's the most... I guess, most focused topic that you have people asking you about right now? I mean, you know, right now, uh, the number one issue that we're hearing about is uh, the shortage of skilled talent. So we have leaders, managers coming to us from organizations of all shapes and sizes in just about every industry. um, And the number one thing on their mind is we just cannot hire enough of the skilled talent we need to fill open positions. Uh, And then once we hire them, we got to get them on board up to speed, develop them. And no sooner do we develop them, then we have to start worrying they might leave. Uh, And, 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 you know, it's driving business leaders crazy. Uh, So this is the number one thing they're coming to us with. It reminds me a lot of the late nineties, but it's, it's, it's even worse now. Uh, You know, in the late 90s, um, uh, we were doing intensive research on what was then a talent shortage. Uh, Our research has continued. I can tell you uh, the shortage of skilled talent is worse now uh, than it's ever been since we've been doing our research. Wow. And that's, you know, a quarter century or actually, no, it's almost 30 years now. We started in 93, right? So we're yeah, that's crazy. We've been doing this research more than a half a million people for more than 400 organizations. And to your point, you know, my first book was Managing Generation X. That was back in the old days when I was young. <laughs> I know. Well, you've kept it up. You've kept it up. We were joking around about you know, like you're like I've had this since I was like seventh grade, and and you've you know you're yet to hit puberty right now. You're just you're you've been doing it for so long. You're the the youngest you know guy your age I know. I'm 55 now and I'm just almost ready to start shaving. 
so, uh, you know, what are some of the things that companies can do right now uh, to to address this issue? Well, you know, look, so some so-called experts are like, well, you just got to pay, right? You got to pay and then pay some more and then pay some more. Uh, and of course, money is a big issue. Uh, and, and then you have others who are like, oh, no, people don't care about money. Uh, and, and I'm always like, well, gosh, what color is the sky on your planet where people, <laughs> where people don't care about money? Right. Because, of course, they care about money. But money is just a threshold issue. I'll tell you what. One of the big areas of focus for us is uh, our research points to some very concrete reasons why new people, new employees, new hires uh, are leaving within six months, 12 months, 18 months. So one of the things that we're working on with our clients is, well, okay, let's zero in on the top three causes of early voluntary departure. And let's see how your hiring practices, how your onboarding and up to speed training practices, uh, and how your handoff to supervisory management, uh, how does that work, right? And, and let's look in your organization and try to identify uh, some of the gaps. And, and we're trying to help, help our clients with those. Of course, you know, uh, that's a lot of assessment, a lot of consulting, which is a big part of our business. I think the reason why when I go on stage, I can crack business leaders up is because we're always doing the research. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to them, they'll be like, well, were you just in my office yesterday? And I say, no, no, it's just, you know, I, I was in somebody's office yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> how, do, how do managers need to do things differently? Because two years ago, everybody was, everybody was getting let go, it seemed like. And now you're trying to motivate people who know that they have a lot of power and can leave any time. Uh, you know, what, what is that like? Well, remember, before the pandemic, unemployment was, uh, was historically very, very low. Uh, there was a shortage of skilled talent before the pandemic. It's just that during the pandemic, uh, everything was turned topsy-turvy. And for a period, there was a tremendous amount of job loss, right? Uh, 2.6 million uh, jobs uh, lost. Uh, but job growth is back and, and the shortage is, is greater than ever. I mean, look, the number one thing that goes wrong in hiring is, you know, employers now, uh, they're like, come to work whenever you feel like it. Bring your dog. Right. Hey, listen, uh, you can work in your area of passion and strength. We'll help you find a best friend at work. And, you know, you could do whatever you want. Please come work for us. That's part of the problem is if you hire people that way, they're bound to be profoundly disappointed. And also, if you hire people that way, just try managing them. Uh, so so uh, we find the number one cause of early voluntary departure is buyer's remorse. Um, and it comes uh, on the employee side when uh, the hiring managers oversell the job. It comes on uh, the, the, the manager side when the managers overlook red flags. Like, well, I don't know, the guy came late to the interview. Uh, he was on his phone a lot. Uh, he kept asking, how do I get a raise? Uh, you know, he, he wasn't dressed properly. He came in his pajamas. You know, yeah. but well, we figured, you know, we'll hire him anyway, right? So, yeah. well, of course, that's not going to work out. So, so that's the number one thing. The number two thing is, is, is employers are so understaffed. When they do get somebody new in the door, sometimes they throw them in 
to the game without a proper onboarding and up to speed training. So they just throw them into the deep end and say, hey, listen, start moving your arms and legs. Pretty soon you'll be doing what everybody else is doing. And, you know, very soon the person's there like, you know, I don't know what to do. They start to feel uncomfortable. They start to feel set up for failure. Uh, and, and of course, uh, their more experienced colleagues don't go to them because they look and say, oh, you'll probably be gone in a few weeks anyway or a few months. Uh, so that's the second biggest cause of early voluntary departures is a, a, a lack of support and direction in the onboarding process. And then number three is handoff to a weak manager, right? You know, young people tell us, especially uh, uh, they start the job. I mean, some of them are working remotely. So they literally, they never meet anyone. They're all of a sudden, they're, they're still at home in their pajamas, but they're doing a job. If they do come in to an actual workplace, uh, you know, they show up and they're like, I'm here. Oh, I'm so excited. And then managers are like, listen, kid, um, nobody held my hand. Figure it out. Go sink or swim. Here, go over some, here, do some paperwork. And then the young person is like, well, listen, I've been to your website. I got a whole bunch of ideas. And they're like, um, yeah, okay. Figure it out. Go sink or swim. You shadow Mr. Blue for a little while and, and just figure out what to do. And, it, you know, what happens is too often – uh, we go through a tremendous amount of trouble to hire someone, but then we don't get them on board. We don't get them up to speed. We don't provide support. And managers are so busy because they're so understaffed. Managers are like, look, I don't have time. I, I, I'm not just the manager. I'm also doing a lot of the work because we're so short staffed. That is like the vicious cycle. It's a conundrum. And everywhere we go, that's what we see. I guess, how does that process go the best you've seen or what do you advise people as managers are now having to, uh, you know, manage people in different ways, like managing someone remotely? What are what are the, the biggest changes you've seen from that and how to do it successfully? Yeah, I mean, well, look, everything's changing. We've gone through in the last two years or so, we've gone through probably the equivalent of 25 years in terms of the change if you were to look at it, a, a, a trend tracker, uh, in the last two years, we've gone through about 25 years of change in the workplace, uh, and the workplace is no longer a place. Uh, and so leaders, managers, and supervisors, they're trying to figure out, how do I get things done when there's nobody here, right? Everyone is working remotely. Um, and the irony is that what our research shows is uh, that what's missing in nine out of 10 management relationships is managers who are practicing the fundamentals of a good structured team huddles and good structured one-on-ones wherever your people are, right? Place and time was never a good measure of uh, how much work somebody's getting done anyway, or the quality of the work they're getting done. Oh, there's, there's somebody sitting in a chair over there. Yeah. That's not a good measure of whether the person is doing a lot of work very well, very fast all day long. So whether they're in the same location or not, uh, what we find is the biggest thing that makes a difference is when managers spend time one-on-one -on -one in structured conversation where they help make sure that every person knows, you know, what should they focus on today? They got too much to do and not enough time. Okay, so what 
priorities can be backburnered. Uh, what are the ground rules? What are the marching orders? Uh, what are we going to focus on today? Do you have the resources you need? If you don't have the resources you need, uh, what should you do? Uh, and, and, and hey, what problems are you facing? When, when leaders, managers, and supervisors become structured, teaching style, coaching style, supportive leaders, uh, turnover goes down by orders of magnitude. Right. So, so, so if I'm feeling like, man, I got too much to do and not enough time. Uh, and, and sometimes I'm working uh, in, in the office or in the workplace. And sometimes I'm working remotely um, and, and, and I need someone to, to help me stay focused. I need someone to clarify for me how to get the resources I need. I need guidance, direction, support and coaching. And, and, and the number one thing missing from most managers' repertoires is slowing down to manage uh, mm. before things go right, wrong, or average. I mean, too many managers, what they do is they manage by interruption. How's everything going? Everything on track? Any problems I should know about? And then, you know, something pops into your head and you interrupt each other. Something pops into your head, you pick up your phone, right? Something pops into your head, you send a text. Something pops into your head, you send an email. Um, and, and, and there's just not enough structured guidance and direction and support. And that is the number one thing managers can change that will reduce turnover. I know you talked about this a little bit, but what are the, the main fundamentals of good leadership? I know you said that's another thing that people are really asking about. But, you know, what are those fundamentals uh, in addition to what you've just talked about that that managers really should hone in on to to have the most success? Yeah, well, you got to keep track of what's going on on the front lines so you make good decisions and help people make good decisions. You got to be super clear about spelling out expectations, not just broad performance standards. See, a broad performance standard is from now on, right? A clear expectation is today, tomorrow, this week. Uh, and, and then a regular coaching style feedback, uh, helping people track performance. Uh, helping people do resource planning and problem solving. Uh, one of the biggest things that gets in the way nowadays is we're all not just dealing with our boss or with the people who report to us and with our vendors and our customers and clients, but in any uh, sizable organization, you're getting requests from people all over the organization chart all the time, right? It's coming from up, down, sideways, and diagonal. And, um, you know, people are like, man, I've already got a bunch of my work to get done, but then I'm getting requests from somebody in some other department, uh, somebody who's a cross-functional uh, customer, right? Everyone's reaching out to me. Can you do this? Hey, do you have a minute? Do you have a minute? Do you have a minute? Well, sure, I have a minute, but everyone is inundating me uh, with requests. So leaders need to help people clarify priorities, have good ground rules, good marching orders, good problem solving, good resource planning. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest things that's missing in, in the workplace today is celebrating success. Uh, people tell me all the time, you know, I wish my manager were here to give me more guidance and direction up front so I avoid unnecessary problems. Mm -hmm. But even when we have a big success, we're all so busy uh, there's not enough sense of celebration and gratitude and recognition and reward. 
Um, and, and, you know, look, people are frustrated. People, everyone is overcommitted. Yeah. And that's one of the things you talk about too. So kind of switching maybe from the, from the manager side of things to the employee side of things. I know, you know, you wrote about the, you know, the art of becoming in, um, uh, indispensable. Um, one of the big theme, I don't know if it's the theme, one of the big focuses of that is overcommitment syndrome. And yeah. So can you, can you delve into that a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, look, that's the first chapter of the book is fight over commitment syndrome, because the irony is uh, that if you're a self-starting high performer, right? If you're one of those people who you're a winner, right? You got a great attitude, you're great at your job and you got a heck of a work ethic. Um, then you so oh, okay. Am I indispensable? Uh, well, the number one thing that undermines the success of self-starting high performers is overcommitment syndrome. Right. You're a go to person. So everyone goes to you and pretty soon you're right. And you're, you're like, I'm a go to person. I got a great attitude. I got a great work ethic. I'm great at my job. People go to me. You know what go to people don't like to do? They don't like to say no. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they feel like they can't say no or they mayn't say no. Right. So so so, you know, uh, and, and by the way, yes, is where all the action is. Uh, yes is your chance to collaborate. Yes is your chance to add value. Yes is your chance uh, to prove your value. Yes is your chance uh, to be a superstar. So don't waste your yeses. You can't do everything for everybody. And one of the real secrets of go-to people who stand the test of time is they don't waste their yeses. They know when to say no and they know how to say yes. See, yes is, you don't yes to get rid of a request. You don't yes to please someone in the moment. You say yes because you know that's my opportunity to make a commitment on which I'm gonna deliver and add value. Uh, So don't waste your yeses. Uh, That's one of the biggest things that gets in the way for superstars and they find themselves drowning in overcommitment and then they will tell you, I don't have the authority to say no, And I feel like I can't say no. And, you know, oh, I'm supposed to be building influence. So how am I supposed to build influence if I I say no? Um, I don't have authority, so I have to build influence. This is how self-starting high performers shoot themselves in the foot because they get overcommitted. And if you're overcommitted and you're always juggling, you're going to drop the ball. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when you have overcommitment syndrome is uh, you you have unnecessary errors, unnecessary delays, and lots of relationship friction. The irony is you're, you're, you're saying yes to everyone to please, and you end up disappointing, uh, and then you have relationship friction. So, you know, one of the things of being indispensable, obviously, is avoiding uh, that syndrome. What are some of the other keys to being indispensable? Yeah, so uh, don't fall for the myths of false influence thinking. Well, if I don't have authority, I have to use influence. Well, what does that mean? See, the mistake is thinking that influence is a thing you use to get what you want from people, even if you don't have the authority. No, influence is a thing you get when you are somebody who delivers value for others consistently, when you are somebody who respects other people's needs, when you are somebody who takes time when somebody comes to you with a request. You take time, you ask questions, you understand, uh, you consider their requests. If you're not the right person, 
or if this isn't the right time, you say no or not yet, or I need more information. Uh, when you say yes, you know it's a commitment. How do you know you're ready to say yes? If you know exactly what to do, hey, that's one of my specialties. If you know exactly how to do it, hey, that's one of my specialties. If you know exactly when you're going to do it and when you can execute because you know how long it's going to take, then you're ready for a really good yes, mm -hmm. right? So if you want to be an indispensable go-to person, you've got to apply your skill and your time and energy and your great attitude to the right opportunities to add value. Some things you can't do, some things you're not allowed to do, some things you just shouldn't do. You know, look, some things shouldn't be done and or at least you're not the right person to do it, right? So those are not good candidates for yes. When you say yes, you wanna be prepared to work smart and finish what you start. Execute, execute, execute. Uh, and, 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 you know, you should show up being the kind of professional you want to be. Even if you're not 100% there, practice being the professional you want to become. Practice being that person and you become more and more that way. Treat people with respect. See, real influence comes from uh, being honest and candid and responsible. When somebody comes to you with a request, you learn, 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 learn. If somebody starts badgering you or bribing you or bullying you, uh, the, the right approach is to be professional in response. And, and influence is not about getting what you need from other people. Influence is the thing you build up by being aligned with your chain of command, by having a true service mindset. So you say yes, the right ways at the right times. You work smart, you finish what you start. And as a result, then you have real influence. And then people want to do things for you. People want to add value. People want you to want to work with them. Uh, but, but, but influence isn't a tool you use on other people. It's a currency you grow uh, by being the right kind of uh, professional at the right times every step of the way treating everybody with respect and using due diligence and using professionalism in everything you do. So switching gears a little bit, uh, you know, you're, you're obviously an expert on uh, generations. How are the different generations uh, handling these changes over the past years in, you know, in good ways and bad ways? Well, you know, the first wave millennials, probably those who uh, were born in the late seventies and early eighties, they came of age in the late 90s. You know, they're probably the ones who are having the toughest time because, you know, when Gen Xers didn't expect things to be very good, right? First wave millennials, I mean, they grew, they came of age in the 90s. It was like peace and prosperity, magical business models, a foosball table in every teaming space and a pet wherever I need. I mean, you know, they were like the late 90s, man, this is awesome. And then, you know, 9-11 hit, the recession that happened after 9-11, you know, they build up to a little head of steam, 2008 recession, the Great Recession, you know, then they build up another head of steam and then the, the, the pandemic. So the, the, the first wave millennials, you know, are like perpetually disappointed and feeling like I'm getting a, I'm getting a raw deal here. Second wave millennials, you know, 
this is what they expect, right? They came of age uh, after 9-11. You know, they, 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 their childhood is more like the children of the 1930s, right? Is war, economic crisis, uh, environment, the, the, the threat of environmental collapse, um, uh, you know, terrorism, now this global pandemic, right? I mean, to them, uh, uh, they're like children of the 1930s if children of the 1930s uh, learned how to think, learn, and communicate while attached to a handheld supercomputer, and if they were raised by helicopter parents on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> the second wave millennials. And then Generation Z, those born 1997 and later, um, I mean, I, I, I think they're like a new species from another planet. Uh, to them, none of this surprises them. They're just like, wait, be atomized in, in, my, own, uh, in my own nest from home and add value and invent things using uh, technology? Yep, I'm there. Got it. I've been there the whole time. Well, welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's amazing how these shifts have, you know, kind of been taking place. Um, and, and just one final thing here, you know, going, building all these different things. What do you see the most successful companies, managers doing as we enter into this next phase of the future of work? Well, uh, you've got to be adaptable and flexible. We all know that. Uh, and what you've got to do is constantly be auditing your workplace culture and your management uh, practices. Uh, most leaders, managers, and supervisors, they, they get into positions of supervisory responsibility because they're very good at something, right? They're great at their job. Uh, they've been around for a while. They've demonstrated they're not going anywhere. They're responsible. Uh, they're into it. They have some professional uh, experience and wisdom. Uh, but, 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 but that doesn't mean they're good at leading, managing, and supervising people. Mm -hmm. And most managers, they're so busy that uh, managing people is something they, you know, they touch base, how's everything going, everything on track, any problems I should know about. They interrupt, they're on email, we're in a meeting every now and then. Um, and then, you know, what happens is problems hide below the radar. Uh, so uh, uh, then when they blow up, what happens? You know, these are the managers uh, uh, who do most of their managing when things are going wrong. Hmm. Sometimes managers will say to me, well, look, you know, I'm not going to hold everybody's hand. If something goes wrong, then my people will hear from me. But that means whenever they hear from you, it's bad news. Uh, so I think, you know, of course, you've got to look at your recruiting practices. You've got to look at your onboarding and up to speed training practices. Uh, you've got to look at how you're teaching people to communicate all day long, every day, so that they're collaborating effectively uh, and, and, and not uh, sending each other on wild goose chases and creating unnecessary problems, which is the biggest unnecessary cause of overcommitment syndrome, wild goose chases and unnecessary problems. Mm -hmm. But look, who needs to be doing all this? Uh, if, if there's one thing, uh, leaders, managers, and supervisors should be doing. It is guiding, directing, supporting, and coaching in high structure meetings and high structure one-on-ones. So what should CEOs and other C-level executives be doing? Do not say, oh yeah, my managers want, people are our number one asset. How do your managers manage? Oh, they're winging it. Yeah. Right. Well, wait, wait, people are your number one asset, but you leave it to your managers to just do whatever they do. Oh yeah, everybody's got their own management style. 
To me, that's like having accountants who don't like the general ledger system. Hey, accountant, how are you managing my money? Oh, I got my own style, see? Oh, okay, well, you're gonna end up in prison and I'm gonna end up without any money, right? But, but managers, oh, people are our number one asset. Well, let's require leaders, managers, and supervisors to follow evidence-based management best practices. Now, it's good enough for the, uh, for the United States Armed Forces. It's good enough for the uh, most successful organizations in just about every industry. That's the number one thing you can do to increase performance, uh, reduce overcommitment syndrome, uh, and, and uh, increase retention. Great. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for for sharing your wisdom in, in so many different areas. I know I mentioned up front that you're you you know a lot about a lot of different things. So thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, for those watching and listening, make sure to uh, subscribe and review and uh, write, subscribe, rate and review. And uh, thank you again for watching. And and Bruce, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's a privilege. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.